Welcome to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grossick, and it uh, gives me great pleasure to welcome back regular guest uh, for What's Making News and co-host on that, Russell Hanby. Welcome back, Russ. It's been a while. Thanks, Henry. Yes, we've had a few days off. Uh, did you get away at all in the break, the school holidays? No, just had a nice, relaxing little break, um, caught up with... Um, Recovery mode, you know, nice little rest yeah. and recovery, caught up with friends, etc. and so on. What about you? Yeah, they're, they're probably the best ones, really. Yeah, much the same, very quiet time, yes. Nothing special but, happening? No, I went up to Hillsville Sanctuary last weekend with my, we took our 10-year-old grandson. I haven't been there for years. It's, on the Sunday it was a nice uh, day, you might remember, weather-wise, and uh, we had, he had a good time. Hmm. Oh, wonderful. Well, we're all back refreshed for what's making news. It's been a while. We've got some good uh, topics here today, Russell. We'll, we'll start with rising occupations with skill shortages amid labour pressure. That's in the age. Surging demand for labour has deepened the shortage of skilled workers across 286 occupations, ranging from chemical engineers to abattoir workers in a new finding that will intensify calls for more investment in skills policy when federal and state ministers meet soon. We've all been talking about where have all the workers gone. Well, this is an interesting um, analysis of it, isn't it, Russell? Yes, well, there's a shortage in some cases. In fact, a lot of cases, the list, the list of schools, uh, skills, the list of skills shortages has increased to 31% of occupations as assessed by uh, federal authorities uh, to guide employment policy. Uh, they are up from 19% of jobs l- one year ago. So we're up to 31% of occupations assessed, uh, said that there was a, a shortage. And in fact, we can tell by the job vacancy advertisements, that there were 301,000 in August. That's up 37.7% on August the year before. Uh, skills Minister Brendan O'Connor says it's urgent to tackle skills shortages and state officials are going to meet to discuss a potential $3.7 billion funding agreement over five years. But because they've had uh, disagreements on the purposes and uh, the idea of it, uh, a final assessment is not expected on that one. But um, more progress is likely on a $1.1 billion agreement at the Jobs and Skills Summit to fund an extra 180,000 fee-free TAFE places. Now, the number of occupations in shortage rose from 153 to 286 in the past year. And interestingly, there were 129 not in shortage in 2021, but are now in shortage, possibly due to COVID and uh, the tight labour market. Um, And uh, these uh, shortages range from hotel managers to bus drivers and scaffolders and uh, and everything in between. So uh, there's a bit of a a problem with getting people uh, in these jobs, isn't there? Yeah, and of course, school teachers, uh, primary and secondary, are in that category too. Look, um, yes, look, uh, we've all been saying, where have everybody got it gone? What's happened? Where are they gone? Because... um, it's, it's across the board and, look, I think one of the sticking points, and we've noticed this in education funding in the past, Russell, the, the nature of our federal system. Um, we notice in the small print there that uh, there is uh, been unable to get resolution to date because they could not finalise details because of disagreements of, over how the states are expected to spend the money. Mm. Uh, and um, you can have a federal government that wants a certain way it's spent and, of course, the states might see it differently and then because they share responsibility, the end result is, uh, well, delays. 
at best, yeah. <laughs> and at worst, <laughs> the money gets not spent how it was meant to be spent. So, um, apart from having coming up with a package to to get people skilled over a number of years, it's going to take a bit of a while to get there. I mean, we're not just going to catch up. There's no magic wand to suddenly fill them with qualified people. We've also got the issue of states and fed governments haggling over how the money's best to be spent. It's uh, it's it, it's not good, is it? No, and uh, now I know they have made a lot of free TAFE places, haven't they, for these, but as you say, it's going to take a, a long time to get people skilled enough. What's going to happen in the meantime, Russ? We're just going to, what, um, chug along? <laughs> chug along, I Chug along, chug I mean, it's, oh, we're laughing, but it isn't actually funny, is it? No, I mean, they've looked at getting visas from people overseas to help, but uh, hasn't sort of made a huge dent in the, the situation, has it yet? No, well, look, from the little I know from overseas, um, connections is, many of those countries are in the same boat as us. So it's not as though there's heaps of chefs, or I'm looking at this list, heaps of um, registered nurses or teachers or mining engineers overseas that we can... Um, What's the, what's the colloquial word? Poach? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> They're probably it's trying to poach ours. <laughs> it goes along. But even in hospital, perhaps not so skilled, but even in hospitality, there's lots of shortage too. And uh, I know certain coffee shops where I go, they're closed on Tuesdays. They obviously can't staff them like they used to, you know. No. So, look, it's, uh, it's a real worry. Uh, and I think the pandemic has well, it's shaken a lot of people out, made them reevaluate their lives, and it's also shown up probably structural weaknesses um, in, in our um, skilling and uh, training programs over a, a long period of time that have really been blown out of the water over the last two and a half years. So, I mean, the, the good side, if there is a good side, is it's going to make us reevaluate and perhaps learn the lessons from uh, what's happened mm. uh, and, 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 and do things a bit differently. Of course, the bad side is in the meantime, and we don't know how long that'll take, before we get these people, we get up to speed in, across so many, so many occupations. That's right. Yes, it's one thing to know there is a problem, and the other thing is how to solve it. That's the problem, isn't it? Yes, yes, absolutely. We've got another one. Kids' problems are worry. Tell us about that one, Russell. Yeah, this was in the uh, Herald Sun. Half of Victorian children have problems with anxiety. New research from the Royal Children's Hospital has found with, while one in five feel anxious about going to school or kindergarten. And the average parent apparently doesn't recognise half of the common signs of mental health problems in children, so the real number could even be higher. Uh, in fact, a third of parents felt confident only uh, distinguishing between normal worries in childhood and mental health problems, and dads particularly had trouble in uh, telling the difference. Um, the National Child Health Poll that they had recently surveyed more than 1,200 Victorian parents of children aged 3 to 17 in July and August this year, and 50% reported issues. Now, the symptoms of anxiety, like frequent tummy aches or tantrums, they do mirror normal development stages. So I guess that's why it's a bit hard for someone to see how serious the problem is. Now, it is worrying a problem if these uh, events are so frequent and excessive that it impacts on a child's daily life. For example, the ability to get on with life or go to school or meet up with friends. So says paediatrician and poll director, Dr. Anthea Rhodes. And uh, the upshot is that Children can be supported, and I know in, in schools there's lots of counsellors who can help if the anxiety is picked up in early stages. 
Mm. Yeah, well, we, I'm not sure that we have enough counsellors and the like in schools at the moment, Russell, to, to uh, in a timely manner pick up on all those things. Yes, we do our best in schools and we do have some resources, but I, I, I'm, I'm not sure that we're up to speed in having people available just almost like any other profession or industry. But, yeah, anxiety, it's... it's um, the pandemic has certainly magnified it. It's been getting on the rise for some years now. I was going to ask now. you, have you have you noticed a significant increase uh, amongst your children there at the school? Well, a rise more so in the ones that we already identified with anxiety issues. Um, I mean, anxi- everybody gets anxious to some degree over something and they acknowledge that there. It's where it's continual. Um, yeah, there's been – it's become a bit more severe in the ones that we'd already seen, more so than lots of new children at our school uh, suddenly becoming heightened anxiety. I, I, I We haven't done a research study on that, but – you know, anecdotally and observationally, some kids are struggling more, but most of those would be kids who were struggling before. So, yeah, it certainly affected them. Um, in terms of dealing with it, well, um, it's it's a difficult one, isn't it? Yes, it is really. Uh, I mean, you can yeah, help get, get it fixed. You can go to health professionals on that, but, uh, you know, it's even that, that's... Uh, bit hard to get. I think they're all booked out a lot of the time. That can be another issue, can't it? Getting in to get the help. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, look, it's one of those worrying ones that there's no short-term answer. We'll take a short break. Russ, can you hold the line? Yes, certainly. Cheers. Welcome back to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grossack, and we're in the middle of What's Making News with co-host Russell Hamby. Welcome back, Russ. Thanks, Henry. Russell, the age this is an interesting one. They want, uh, or they're reporting, they're not, they're not the age. Monitor wants more school funding data to increase clarity. The independent agency that monitors school funding says the public, Catholic and independent systems should be required to disclose how they distribute government funding that means public funding, to allow more meaningful research into the relationship between funding and outcomes. Mm. Uh, Seems like a no-brainer to us in the public system. Yeah, well, the lack of data on how the school systems are allocated funds or how they spend the money, that limits, of course, anyone's capacity to evaluate funding. Now, the National School Resourcing Board wants future funding deals to be tied to disclosure requirements. I would have thought that would have happened anyway, but but there are no consistent, apparently transparent information provided by Australian governments and non-government sectors that can be used to assess how school funding is being spent or even how much funding each school actually receives. Uh, And apparently funding is received in a lump sum, and this board chairman, uh, he wants more detailed information from government schools, he says, apparently they do say that non-government schools have a lot of criteria they've got to provide information. He wants government schools to follow that. I don't know what your thoughts are on that one. Mm. 
Well, um, I would think transparency um, is a good thing, should be happening. I, I do note there that the National School Resourcing Board Chairman Michael Cheney said more detailed data from government schools mirroring that provided by non-government schools would allow better re research. Um, there's always been concerns in the past, I would have thought, of um, the non-government school sector's um, degree of um, accountability in terms of detailed data for much of how they spent their money was lower than that was for the government schools. Yes, I, I would have thought that. We've had mm, discussions about this over time, haven't we? Even the last time, program, I think, we discussed similar matters. Um, now, despite increases in government funding, uh, it, is, it is said that student outcomes are actually stagnating and the Grattan Institute's Julie Sonsu wants to know how money is spent and are the needy schools and students getting it? That's just a no-brainer, really, isn't it, that, that you want this transparency? Oh, look, it's, um, it, it's one thing to pour a lot of money in, um, but it's another thing to know that you're getting value for money and that you're achieving your goals and aims, and um, clearly that, uh, that isn't happening. And, of course... We, we hear every other day, don't we, that um, the governments are pouring more and more money into education, um, but the results are not reflected in literacy and numeracy or PISA result outcomes. Um, and, of course, I think in a, a related uh, topic, and I know Save Our Schools are very much onto this one, is that um, a fair whack of that extra money has been going to the non-government schools rather than to the government schools per capita on children. That increase, particularly from the federal government, has uh, uh, and and when they look at the Gonski money, the some of them are, are paid well above their um, their SRS, their student resource. Uh, money that they're getting per student. So it's an interesting one. Um, and, of course, what what is it that we're particularly going to get that we'll be able to determine? What we, What's the data that will tell us that specifically? Yeah, well, that's, does that article tell you that? Not particularly, does it? It uh, just sort of tells about the fact that uh, the money's going there but no one knows uh, anything about it uh, outside the uh, school itself or something. There are concerns that student outcomes are stagnating despite this is reported in it in government funding. A recent Productivity Commission report said that between 5 and 9% of students every year do not meet year-level expectations in either literacy or numeracy. Um, two things about that. It would be wonderful to have a 100% achieve it. Um, whether that's actually a realistic figure, particularly given that a lot of government schools and some non-government schools are not getting funded 100% to their their SRS it makes it uh, hard to say that we should um, and what and I, and I, is it we're supposed to be spending it on particularly yes. <laughs> that we're not at the moment and I guess uh, throwing buckets of money will, will that, do you think that would change dramatically um, the situation about the uh, standard etc well, money of itself isn't the answer, but if you didn't if money wasn't a big part of the answer, then why resource them at all? I mean I mean the bottom line is uh, and I think the question we have so many debates and questions about this one, Russell, and they go down to um, who's getting which share of the money from which government? And of course, as this article quite rightly points out, um, 
the decisions made, uh, and again, it's federal states haggle over everything. Um, states spend money not always exactly as the federal governments would have intended, and yes, some money can go into all sorts of corners. Um, and I guess uh, is the research there to show that it's money very well spent and well targeted? I mean, that's another question. And are we as a nation spending enough anyway, even if we are increasing it? A uh, lot, of, lot, of, um, lot of issues there. Yes, and I don't think it's going to be solved very quickly. <laughs> no, and look, it's one of those ones that's been going on for a long, 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 long time. I mean, I remember the BER, Russell, and it was something I spoke about. The control of how that BER money, and that was the biggest single expense to its date on education in the country, um, biggest single program, um, state governments very tightly controlled the criteria and how that money was spent in government schools. There was far more autonomy and flexibility with the non-government schools on how that was spent. So in terms of measuring accountability and outcome, um, this is not a, a, a new issue. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see. I know the Grattan Institute, they're a very good organisation that gets to the bottom of a lot of things and uh, they've certainly got a keen interest in education. Uh, be good to perhaps chat, perhaps get Julie Sonneman from the Grattan Institute onto the program and talk about their concerns in a bit more detail than what we see in a newspaper article. What do you reckon? Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. We'll make a very good viewpoints interview for you. Yes, yeah, so we'll we'll see if we can get on to Julie Sonneman and see how we go there because. Uh, there's not enough information in that article, much as it's a disturbing article in terms of value for money. Taxpayers' money is what we're talking about. Russell, the Herald Sun. Yes, uh, speak up on Parkinson's. Uh, a new smartphone app developed in Melbourne can detect Parkinson's disease in just 10 seconds, researchers claim. We often speak of breakthroughs in the medical thing, particularly from Melbourne, don't we? And here's another one. The screening app records the user's voice and can identify the illness of Parkinson's quickly, leading to early diagnosis and treatment. The changes in a person's voice are the main indicator of Parkinson's. Now, lead researcher Dinesh Kumar from RMIT School of Engineering said early clinical trials have been completed with more than 70% accuracy. Now, the app is non-language dependent, and so it can be used by anyone around the world. And it can also detect COVID-19 because lung infections change a person's voice as well. Now, the three symptoms of Parkinson's, the main ones, rigidity, tremor and slowness, they alter the voice of people with Parkinson's, and these are identified by this app technology, and amazingly, within 10 seconds. Interesting, isn't it? Yes. Um, I mean, the progress we make through research uh, is fascinating, and uh, we've now got, you know, technology assisting us again. That's right. So here's a case where there's a positive uh, outcome using technology. We hear sometimes the negative effects. Well, this is certainly a positive one. Mm. But they don't recommend it as a diagnostic tool at the moment. It's more of a screening tool or an assisting tool. So I guess it's one of those ones that um, if you've got a concern, this app is sort of uh, an indication for further 
analysis? Would that be true? Yes, yes, that's probably it's probably a good first step, isn't it? Rather mm. than the, the be all and end all. Is mm. is is Parkinson's now it affects twenty seven thousand people in Victoria alone are living with a condition. Um and almost one in five, as you said, are still of working age. Is that one of those diseases that we're, it's, that's escalating? I, I think so. I mean, we may be being told more about it, like an article like this, but it doesn't seem to be getting any less, does it, as, as, the, as we go on? No, no. Interesting, that one. But that's a, a, a good a good technological advance in, in helping us spot it. The odd spot. I knew you'd like this one, Russell. Right, yes. <laughs> Firefighters in England have milked an animal rescue for all it's worth, pulling out the puns after saving a curious calf from veal trouble when it managed to wedge its head in an electricity pylon. Bollington's fire station's finest took to social media after a crack animal rescue team from Cheshire Fire and Rescue Service freed the distressed animal trapped in a field in Cheshire, noting the bovine had made a slight miscalculation. They added the liberated calf was last seen moving, or should we say moving, off to rejoin its herd. Mm. <laughs> well, well I put a, that last pun in there. You did, you did. That, uh, that's, that's a heartwarming one, isn't it? Yes, it's good to have a, a good little news. Oh, uh, happy yeah, story, there's, always, there's always so much news that, you know, it's interesting. I, I thought, well, I think they, um, maybe the media does it. They put more, it'd be a good little research. I'm sure there's been research done on gloomy versus positive uh, pieces in the paper. Yes, I heard someone, I don't know where it was, uh, on another station uh, saying that they thought the news these days was more gloomy than ever mm. uh, and there weren't too many bright spots in it. It's more down and lots of things happening that are not yeah. all that pleasant, you know. Correct. Is it? Is it? Um, is it uh, more gloomy things happening? And, of course, COVID certainly would suggest it is or is it just that the gloomier things are being reported more that would be uh, an interesting one let's hope the sun's shining outside today russ let's hope that's yes. doing it I think in England, a station tried to just be a good news station and it didn't work. The ratings didn't like it. So apparently people like... People all, like gloomy news. They like right gloomy then. news. <laughs> okay, well. <laughs> well, let's have a good weekend and we'll catch up again at the same time next week. Take care, Russ. Okay, thanks. We'll see you later. That was Russell Handy, uh, co-host on What's Making News. We'll try and pick out some... Low-rating, happy stories on the basis of what Russell told us, listeners, for next week. Take care.